Great to be here. You know, the first time I ever preached in a church was about 40 years ago. Can you believe it? Yeah. And I preached about David. And ever since then, I regularly come back to reading about David. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've read the story of David, how many times I've preached or taught about David, how many times I've done leadership training. And when we do leadership training, we talk about David because he's the ultimate example of a leader. And we take all of these lessons out of David's life. And it's wonderful. But I've been reading the story of David more recently through slightly different eyes. Because as well as being a man who loved Jesus, as well as being a man who was a man after God's own heart, as well as being a great leader of Israel, he's also a picture to us. He's a type or a shadow or a picture of Christ himself. He's the shepherd king. He's, he's the one who leads the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel is, is God's people. He's the one who leads us. He's the one that, that creates worship. He's the one who, who, you know, when David said, I will not sacrifice that which doesn't cost me. Who's the ultimate example of a sacrifice that cost himself was Jesus. And throughout the life of David, you can see so many ways in which he's a picture to us of Jesus. And when he killed Goliath, you know, we've, we've got this story, and I've preached on this, and it's not wrong to do so. You know, we, we often preach about it like David had the faith to, to slay the giant, and you can slay the giant too, and that's part of the story. But a bigger part of the story is that it's Jesus who slays our giants. You know, when we read the story of David and Goliath, okay, how many of you have read the story of David and Goliath, and you identify with David? And how many of you identify with one of the Israelites who's cowering in the back? Yeah? We don't, right? Because we, we know the end of the story beforehand. We've got to go, yeah, of course, David and Goliath, you know. And it's even entered the lexicon, you know, in sports matches or whatever. Oh, it's a David and Goliath thing. And people off now almost expect the David to win. And it, it takes away the shock of that story that the odds were impossible. And actually, most of us would have been those Israelites quaking in our boots, going hiding every morning and every evening when, uh, when Goliath came forward and challenged and defied the nation of Israel. And without Jesus to lead us, that's what we are. We're a rabble, quaking in our boots, useless, not able to beat anybody. And as I was reading the story, and then I read about David and David goes into the desert. We'll look at that just now. And then it tells us about David's mighty men. And I thought, wait a minute. When Saul was king, and Goliath came and he says he defied the armies of Israel every morning and every evening for 40 days, not one person volunteered to fight. Not one person rose up. Not one person took up the challenge. Under Saul's leadership, they were a rabble, easily scattered, easily cowed, easy, easily intimidated. And then under David's leadership, suddenly you read all these accounts of all these mighty men that serve him. God, where did they come from? 
Because they must have been there when Saul was king. It's not that long after. Did they all just kind of drop from, uh, did the little green men that Hannes was talking about earlier, you know, just fell down from heaven somehow? No, they were there. But under Saul, they were a rabble. Under David, they rose up to be a mighty, they rose up to do great exploits. I want to talk a little bit about that because I think sometimes we can look like a rabble. Yeah. <laughs> we can feel like a rabble. And it's interesting, you know, when David first fled into the desert and Saul was hunting him and Saul was seeking to kill him and, and put to death that thing which God had called him to. He'd been anointed, but before he could walk into it, Saul was, Saul was trying to kill him. And I can imagine David sat there in the desert, and you see it in some of the Psalms where he's like, oh, all these evil men are out to kill me, God, and I'm in despair, and I'm in the desert, and I'm in all this trouble. Send help. And I think you and I would be like, send help. God, we need help. We need some soldiers. We need somebody to help us. And God sent some people to him. And this is who he sent. It says in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. And all who are in distress, or in debt, or discontented, gathered around him and he became their leader. <laughs> no, Lord, I said send help. <laughs> Those who were in distress, those who were in debt, or those that were discontented. Another translation says those who were bitter in spirit. You know, those, those, who, those people who'd had to deal with uh, disappointment and disillusionment, who hadn't taken hold of what they, they thought they'd been promised, people who'd been disinherited, people who'd lost vision, but they, they were indebted, they were discontented, and they were distressed, and so they came to David. And you know, in reality, that's how we come to Jesus, right? We don't come to Jesus as mighty warriors. We don't come to Jesus as mighty men and mighty women. We come to him distressed, discontent with life, and in debt. Certainly in spiritual debt, if not actual financial debt. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And he go, wow, that's a really strange statement. What did he mean? And I think part of what he's saying is, blessed are those who realize that they're spiritually bankrupt. Because only when you realize you're spiritually bankrupt will you look for a savior. And then the savior can provide all your needs, spiritually and otherwise. But we don't come to him because we've got it all together. We come to him because we're distressed, discontented, and in debt. The challenge is many of us stay that way. We come to him and we're part of his army. We're, we're, we're followers of his, but we remain in our own eyes and in our own minds distressed and indebted. And we don't transition into being the warriors that he needs, the mighty men and the mighty women of God. 
And David attracts all these people. And then he attracts more people. And he attracts all kinds of people. And there's a wonderful story in uh, 1 Chronicles 12. It says another bunch of guys came to him. And in verse 17 it says, David went out to meet them and he said, if you have come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. We don't have to read the rest. That, that's a powerful statement. And I've, I've heard this passage preached many times. And most of the times I've heard it preached is from a, a perspective of, you know, you've got to give your heart to your leaders. You've got to give your heart to the, your leaders. You've got to give your heart to your leaders. And that is true. We do have to give to our, our hearts to our leaders. But we have to give our hearts first to Jesus. Paul said, he commended the one church and he said, because you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. And you gave yourself to, to us and you received us as if we were the Lord himself or an angel. So you completely gave yourself to us. But the only way I can completely give myself to somebody is if I give myself to Jesus first. But actually what David says here is not, if you want to join me, you have to give me your heart. He says, if you've come to me in friendship, my heart will be joined to you. I think that's, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is like, the language we use is, who wants to give the heart to Jesus? Right? And it's true, we have to give him our heart, we have to give him our lives, we have to surrender. But the reality is, we come to him indebted, distressed, disillusioned, and he says, if you're coming to me, I will give you my heart. My heart will be joined to you. That's an incredible promise. And we can't actually, we are incapable of giving him our heart until he's given us his. And I'm incapable of loving you guys the way I should until he's given me his heart. We love because he first loved us. And notice it doesn't say we love him because he first loved us. We just love full stop because he first loved us. And there's this incredible promise that if we come to him in friendship, if we come to him with our debts, with our disillusionment, with our distress and say, okay, we've not got anything to offer you, but we're here in friendship and and we want to seek your glory, we want success to you, then he says, my heart will be joined to yours. And then something incredible happens. When his heart is joined to us, we become more like him. And I believe that's what happened in David's army. That as they were joined with David, something of the spirit that was on David came upon the men. Something of that courage, something of that recklessness, something of that outrageous, almost stupidity came upon the men. Because we like, oh, David, he was a man of faith. Yeah, he was. But think about it. <laughs> Young shepherd boy with no army and a sling going up against a giant in armor. It's like, it sounds a bit silly when you think about it. it. Sounds a bit outrageous. Sounds incredibly dangerous. And what I love is that then the Bible starts to recount the story of his mighty men. And these are men who are dangerous. They're not safe. 
They're not ordinary. They're not boring. They're not vanilla. Oh, I've got in trouble. So I, I, I used that line a few weeks ago, and somebody said, but I like vanilla. I said, you're allowed to like vanilla, just don't be vanilla. Do you know what I'm talking It's like nice and safe and tame and predictable and ordinary. Yeah. Who wants to be those things? If, like, if, if we could... If we said, right, what we're going to do, we're going to pick somebody at random. In fact, let's do it. We're going to do something now, right? Because usually the only time people get up and say nice things about somebody else is when that person's dead. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You know, it's kind of, how many of you have secretly thought, I wish I could be alive at my own funeral just to hear what people say about me, right? Well, let's do that now. Let's have a living funeral. Okay? We're going to honor somebody this morning. Okay? We're going to honor somebody. And we're going to speak to, just very short. And I'm going to ask a, maybe four or five guys to get up and just almost give a, 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 a 30-second eulogy for Mike Rattigan. Because I think God wants to honor you this morning, bro. And embarrass you at the same time. <laughs> so... You know, so it's got to be true, and it's got to be upbuilding, okay? But we're going to have a living funeral for Mr. Rattigan this morning. So whether it's a family member, a friend, or a leader, four or five guys, just come up quick to the front, very quick. Hannah, you can be one. Come on, don't be slow. Come on. Where's the mighty men willing to take a risk? Yeah. Mikey, I, uh, I want to say that you are incredible about how you serve us uh, hours that nobody knows about. And about the, the shifts that you make to, to obey God and to risk with the Lord. I, I've seen massive shifts in you in the last year of how you stepped out of your comfort zone, risk with the Lord, and uh, you're an incredible leader to us. And uh, actually a big gift. There's so much in you that I think TFD, TFG gets more out of sometimes than us. But uh, I love how you actually bring your gift to the house of the Lord, out of your own to build the house of God. And um, we are better off because of you. Yeah. That doesn't sound dead to me, but I'll, I'll speak to you as if you did. <laughs> I, I remember Mark quite well when he was around. <laughs> he was a, it was quite an inspiring athlete for me, like a guy that would always push, push us. But... Uh, even that side of him was, wasn't the part that really stuck out for me. His, his love for the church, his love for the people of God was something that really stood out and really made me realize the man he was. He, you wouldn't say it as much and you wouldn't see how he, how he used to operate. But if you remember him every time standing every Sunday in front here, worshiping God's people because of his love for God. And that's how I'll remember Mark. <laughs> Mike Redigan was a great father. <laughs> but uh, really, Mike, I, I think uh, one thing I can say about you is that uh, you are a great father. And I think um, if you look at some his sons, they just want to be like their dad. And I think that is very special. Like, even Ethan just wants to be like you. 
um, in everything, the way he plays guitar, everything, the way he watches you when he worships with you, I think you're a great example. And for all of us younger guys as well. And I don't think you're a vanilla milkshake. I think you're like a milk dab milkshake. That's, like, that's holy. <laughs> so, yeah, we're obviously visiting here. We're from Mossel Bay. Um, so you guys probably don't know me, but I know Mike from, I think, about 20, 20 odd years ago. So I was in church um, with Mike um, in Tableview um, at a church, yeah, very long ago. Um, and we, I was on, he was leading worship in that church as well. Um, and I was one of the little teenagers on the electric guitar, still trying to figure out how to play. Um, and he, he led me in, in um, learning how to play guitar and also being part of a, a worship team. Um, and that's a skill that he, that he taught me that I've, I've, I left for a while, but I'm getting back there again. Um, but yeah, it was just incredible arriving here, seeing him and his wife. Um, and seeing him up on stage still serving and being dedicated and being faithful in the gift that God has for him. So, yeah, well done, Mike. Oh, Mike, um, I think one of the things that I saw in you and that I think you, you bless us with is a gift of humbleness. You just humble, down to earth. Um, when we met, he said, no, you, you psyched folks. Oh, okay, you've done August. Great, yeah, okay. So we just don't do August. We've done it plenty of times. And we actually leave Malfos, do the August cycle back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just, I think you, time that you spend here and that you serve is an example to lots of people. And, yeah, it's a blessing. I think there's something in each of us where we want to make a mark on the world. When we go, we want, to, we want to have said we've made a difference. And some people do it by trying to become multimillionaires. And some people do it by trying to achieve in sport, whatever it is. But Mike, you are leaving a mark on the world. And you're leaving a mark on us uh, in many ways. Not only the best pizza in the Western Cape. <laughs> it's a team effort, I know. <laughs> But also just how you've invested in so many other people, especially young people. Not just so that we can have a worship team, but I honestly believe that the investment that you've made into so many people will spread across Josh Jen, across 412, across nations. And I think you'll only see the size of your impact in eternity. But this side of eternity, we want to say thank you because you've been really faithful for a really long time, sometimes for really little reward. <laughs> but I want you to know that we massively value and appreciate you, and you're a legend. <laughs> so that's, that's embarrassing Mike out of the way, but, you know, we, one of the things that Jesus does when we come to him, he doesn't look at us how we are. He looks at us as how we can become, what we can be. He looks into our future and he says, this is where I can take you. And he doesn't always tell us the full story of where he's going to take us because it's going to be a bit too scary. But he doesn't want us to leave, lead ordinary, plain, 
nice, boring, vanilla existences. He wants us to be remarkable and dangerous. I want to tell you, you may not feel that way. You may may feel very ordinary, very unable, very weak. You may feel distressed, indebted, and disillusioned. But because the Spirit of God is in you, you can do remarkable things. And you can become like the one who's given you his heart. And that's what happened to David's mighty men. From a rabble, they do great things. And it's amazing. In in 2 Samuel 23, we get a a list of these things. And I I just want to read them to you because I I want to show you that these men were crazy. These men were dangerous. These men weren't ordinary and boring and predictable. And I'm not going to name all the names because, you know can't pronounce half of them. (laughs) But we've got Joshua Bashabeth. Anybody pregnant looking for a boy's name? (laughs) I can guarantee there won't be nobody else in class with that name at school. (laughs) And he's a... yeah. I remember I, 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 I used to run a year of your life course. And I said, and we'd take it in terms of reading scripture out loud. And guys said, listen, if you come to a word and you don't know how it's pronounced, just, just pronounce it with conviction and everybody will think you've got it right. You know, that just, just don't go quiet and stumble. Just go for it with conviction and nobody will question it. And uh, one of the guys, I won't tell you who it was because I don't want to embarrass Wayne Dodd. <laughs> He's reading and he comes to this passage and he says, and they came against the Amalekites. <laughs> and he read it with such conviction, but it didn't work because everybody just burst, burst out laughing at his Amalekites and the cellulites and the... But he's, he's chief, chief of the three. He used his spear and killed 800 guys in one battle. John Wick, eat your heart out. Nobody watch John Wick. Don't watch John Wick. Okay. I've heard. <laughs> Hannah's told me. And, and then, I love this one, uh, Eleazar, it says, he taunted the Philistines. That's what he was famous for. <laughs> but after taunting them, and all of the other Israelites had run away, he stood his ground, and he fought with his sword for so long that after the battle... Have you ever used a, a shovel or, a, or any kind of tool for so long that you, your fingers can't straighten up afterwards? And they said he couldn't straighten his fingers afterwards. He couldn't let go of his sword he'd been fighting for so long. 
Then you've got Shema in verse 11. He gets upset over a field of lentils. The Philistines mess up a little plot of land with some beans on it. So he decides that's worth killing a bunch of them for, over some beans. Then you've got the three mighty men, and David at at the gates of Bethlehem says, oh, for a cup of water, and that's enough for them to get the swords out and kill a bunch of blokes so that the boss can get a cup of water. These men are radical. These men are dangerous. You've got to be careful what you say around these guys. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, a valiant man, a doer of great deeds, One of the things he did, he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. How random is that? Like, you're in Israel, right? Now, Israel, you know, it's not got, like, central heating and double glazing. You've not got your, your, your kind of, what, what's the, your puffer jackets and your, you know, Cape Union mark, mark jackets and everything, you know. So what's he doing? It's snowy day. He should be inside staying warm. And he's walking around, and he sees a lion in a pit. It's in a pit. I mean, what's it doing? It's in a pit. It's not, it's not going anywhere. It's not doing anything. But for a laugh, or for whatever reason, he jumps into the pit just so he can kill a lion. For laughs. For fun. Guys, I know that the gospel is serious business, and we're dealing with people's eternity. But man, sometimes we've got to do things just for fun. Seriously. Some of the most fun moments I've had is doing deliverance on people. I was, I was praying for a young girl once from Namibia. She's a pastor's daughter, about as conservative as you can get. Wouldn't say boo to a goose. We're praying for, a, for deliverance and excuse the language, but I have to quote what she says. At one point, we're praying for her, and suddenly she turns around in a strange voice goes, You really irritate me, you arsehole. <laughs> That's funny, right? (laughs) I laughed. I said, that's my job. Now be quiet and go. (laughs) Deliverance can be fun because you're setting people free. And the enemy wants to intimidate us. And you know what the Bible says God does when people plot against them? He laughs. Sometimes the best form of spiritual warfare is laughing. Sometimes we can have fun. I was in Brazil in November. And uh, we had a meeting on a Saturday. It was so hot. It was about 40 40 degrees. And Ronaldo leads the church. He was like... um, we're only allowed 120 people in this venue, so what do you think we should do on Sunday? Should we have two services and split it because we'll have some visitors? I said, oh, let's see what we can do. Then on the Saturday, we were expecting 80 people, about 150 people pitched up in a venue that can hold 120. It's 40 degrees. We were all sweating buckets. It was like, I got up and I preached. And at the end of my preach, just asked the worship team, let's just finish with one song. They get up to do one song, and an hour later, 
we were still worshipping. And a lot of it was spontaneous. At one point, some guy got up and he, he just did a spontaneous rap. And it was great in Portuguese. We didn't understand a word of it, but it was cool. <laughs> and then they said, come on, gringos, it's your turn. Gringo being a word for foreigner. And um, we're like, no, no. And then Lissetti, who knows Lissetti? He was from PE, he's in London. He gets up. And basically, this is, this is what, he, what, he, what he wrapped. He said, I know I am a gringo, but Jesus, chiamo, Jesus, I love you in Portuguese, which is about all the Portuguese he knew, gringo and chiamo. <laughs> and that was, and he's going, I know I am a gringo, but Jesus, chiamo. And then that just went on for about 15 minutes and everybody's laughing at how funny this is and how funny he is. I've got some video if you ever want to see it. I've got, I've got the proof. And at one point, after this had been going on, it's about an hour and we're, we were all sweating like a zookeeper's boot. And I'm thinking, have we, have we gone out of worship into just having fun? And then the Lord said to me, what's the difference? Is the difference that worship shouldn't be fun? Because then we'd be in serious trouble, right? But can I ask you, do, do you have fun often? I mean, I'm not like, let's have fun. We'll have a games night. Compulsory fun will do Josh Jen's Got Talent. Fun is... <laughs> do you ever have fun on a Sunday? I have fun when I'm preaching. I love saying things that shock you all or telling jokes that you don't get. <laughs> I promise you before now, at least once, Liesl Brandt has phoned me on a Tuesday and said, oh, I just got the joke you told on Sunday. <laughs> he laughs last, didn't get the joke. Sometimes, let's just be wild and crazy for the sake of it. I believe in hearing the voice of Jesus, I really do. And yes, we've got to hear his voice and we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. But sometimes, I, there's some things you don't need to get permission for. But you see somebody and you think, oh, shall I preach the gospel? Mm, let me wait for permission. You've already got permission. Besides, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission sometimes. <laughs> I didn't say that. Didn't say that. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think within church, we're so respectable, so safe, and we're so afraid of making mistakes. When was the last time you made a mistake? Really going for it for Jesus. When was the last time you messed up? I'm hoping to get to the Isle of Man in July for the conference and for TT. <laughs> I love the TT races, the most dangerous motorcycle race in the world. And they say there's only two kind of motorcycle races, those who have crashed and those who are going to crash. And here's the deal. If you've never crashed doing the TT, it's because you're not going fast enough. You're not trying hard enough. And within the kingdom, we've got to be not, 
we've got to lose our fear of making mistakes. We've got to lose our fear of getting it wrong. Lisa is just over a year now. How old is Lisa? So she's starting to get a little bit mobile, shuffling around, looking at everybody walking, figuring out, can I do this walking thing? Is she going to get it right first time? (laughs) There's faith and then there's delusion. (laughs) How many of you here got it right first time learning to walk? How many of you fell on your backside? Multiple times. But because you were young and you didn't know better, you figured, okay, I've fallen on my backside, let me try again. And it's only when we get older we go, oh, I've fallen on my backside, I better not try that again. And God is our Father, and we are kids, and we might think we're mature and grown up and responsible, but the gulf between him and us is far greater than the gulf between Hannes and Lisa. And not just because he's a kid at heart. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and the heart of our heart with our children is we want you to take risks. We want you to mis- make mistakes because we want you to grow into new things. And there's a difference between rebellion and mistakes. There's a difference between sin and mistakes. There's a difference between wildness and rebellion. God doesn't want to take the wildness out of us. He wants to take the rebellion out of us. And we've got to be comfortable with mistakes. And sometimes it starts at the top. Not here, I think. I think Hannes is prepared to look like an idiot. Often. I didn't say you do. I said you're prepared to. Prepared to take risks. But some leaders are afraid to, they're so afraid of things going wrong because they think it will damage their reputation. But here's what happens. Would you rather follow a leader who never makes a mistake? Or would you rather follow a leader who risks it, make mistakes, owns up to his mistakes and says, let's go forward any? That gives you the freedom to make mistakes, right? When was the last time you brought a prophetic word and it bombed? Yeah, okay, I tried. It bombed. So what? I, I won't stop praying for sick people because everybody I prayed for ended up in the hospital or dead. As though it was down to me, you know. But I prayed for lots of people that haven't got healed. I've laid hands on dead people and I've never seen anybody raised from the dead yet. But guess what? I've also prayed for people and seen them healed of cancer and AIDS and TB. I've seen childless couples say, one of the nicest things that ever happened to me, I was, we were in Odson and uh, Lizzie and I were on a road trip. So we we were in this, um, in this accommodation where she was upstairs, I was downstairs, but it was basically one room. And I had a conference called to preach at a pastor's conference in Brazil. And because of the time difference, my preach started at 1 a.m. So I start preaching at 1 a.m. At about 1.30, she wakes up and she, Dad, will you keep the noise down? (laughs) 
<laughs> so I finished my preach, and it's, it's translated, so it takes twice as long. So that's about four hours. No. <laughs> so I, I do my preach, and I finish, and then they say, oh, we're going to go into breakout rooms now and talk about what's just been preached. So I get sent into this breakout room with a bunch of pastors. Have you ever been in a room with a bunch of pastors who want to comment on what's going on? Everybody has to say something. It's not going to be short, and it's translated. So it's going on and on, and I'm just it's getting like to 2.30, and then I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And what I don't realize is a train coming the other way. Just as I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and I think, right, now we can all say goodbye and I can get to sleep. This one guy pipes up, he says, can I just say one thing? You know that kid in class? When the bell's just about to go and they'll say, any, and teacher says, any more questions? Me, miss. Me, miss. And you all want to kill him? It's like that. Anyway, I thought, oh yeah, okay, okay, one more thing. He said, I just want to say, last time you were here, you had a word of knowledge about couples who couldn't have children. And my wife and I came forward, and you prayed for us. I said, yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that. He said, I just want to introduce you to somebody. And brought this little baby onto the screen. Wow. But here's the thing. I've also prayed for childless couples and they've not had children. And that's risky. I'm not being blasé about making mistakes because we're playing with people's hearts. So I'm not talking about being stupid, but I am talking about being willing to step out and take a risk. Because I think we become very safe and very tame. How do we become tame? Here's, here's how we become tame. One of the ways is, um, it irritates me a little, Christian bingo. Do you know what Christian bingo is? There's somebody here with a bad back. Okay. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious because I do believe in words of knowledge. I want people to bring, I want to encourage you to bring words of knowledge. But that is so safe, right? To get up and say, uh, I think there's somebody here with a bad back. Let me cut. Statistically speaking, in a room of this size, how many bad backs are there going to be? Okay, that wasn't a word of knowledge, but, but can I have a show of hands? Is there anybody here with a bad back? Right, okay. So, so then I can do that, and it feels like, it feels a little bit nice. It feels like I've almost given a word of knowledge. But I don't think it builds much pe- people's faith up because while we're all being trying to be nice and christ-like and nicer than jesus sometimes i think most of us understand well yeah it wasn't wasn't that remarkable was it but that's safe and if that's if that's what you've got then that's what you give you can't give more than what you've got but why don't we just take a moment to say okay lord you you're speaking to me Give me more. Can't you give me more? Can't I stretch my faith out? It's like, how many of you have ever had a prophetic word and you've got a picture and then you don't show the picture in case it's wrong and then afterwards you had a conversation with someone and you go, that picture was perfect, I should have shared it. But fear stops you, yeah? And so what happens is you lose 
the, the, the prophetic word is still a blessing, but you lose some of the edge and some of the power of it. And what if I say, okay, Lord, yeah, I'm trusting you to come through now, so I'm going to step up. Yeah, I believe there's somebody here with a bad back, and I believe it's a disc injury. You're having a problem with your disc. Okay, Lord, give me more. Give me more. And I think it's between L5 and L6. Right? What happens now? Somebody's just been to the doctor, just had a scan, and they've got a, a bulging disc L5 to L6, and they go, that is me. This is not a random game of bingo. This is God pointing me out. And it's not about the amount of information. One of my favorite stories is a friend of ours was, was giving prophetic words in a congregation, and um, something similar happened to me, but this is a better story, and it's about somebody else. And he was giving these like really powerful words of knowledge and prophetic words like this is your social, this is your driving license number and this is where you live and this is how old you are and this is what you had for breakfast, all that kind of thing. And then at one point he goes, is there somebody here called Mary? And a young girl stands up. says, I'm Mary. And he went, sorry, uh, God told me to call Mary, but I've got nothing for you. I'm sorry. I'm so embarrassed. And she sat back down again. After the meeting finished, she came up to him. She said, you don't know this and you don't know me. But I've been so racked with suicidal thoughts. I, was, I, was, I had decided to kill myself. Today, I said, God, I will give you one last chance. I will go to church and you must call me by name. And if you call me by name, I'll know that you love me. So it's not the amount of content. It's the level of faith. It's, am I being obedient and am I stepping out in the fullness of what God's given me? You know, and Scripture says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him prophesy according to the measure of faith that's been given him. And so if you've got a little bit of faith, just prophesy a little, but then let that grow your faith. Do we prophesy safely? Do we pray safely? We prayed for healing earlier. And I'm guilty of this sometimes, you know. Pray for James for healing. Lord, just bless my brother. Give him peace at this time. Let him know that you're with him. And maybe heal his body if you're in the mood. But if not, then, you know, we know you kind of, I'm going to hedge my bets. Yeah? And I'm not talking about being presumptuous, but sometimes the gift of faith comes. And when the gift of faith comes and God says, I want to heal this person, then we should be praying with some conviction. Throwing out the net as a preacher. Everybody close your eyes. Is there anybody here? Anybody at all? (laughs) Who kind of once more of Jesus, maybe for the first time, or the second or the hundredth time. I once heard a preacher, and he threw out the net for salvation, and nobody responded. So he said, any recommitments? Nobody responded. Anybody just want to be more committed to Jesus? Nobody responded. By the time he'd finished, he was like, if you're not raising the dead, driving out demons, and healing the sick on a daily basis, come forward. Because... <laughs> 
And it's not just preachers. Like in conversations with people, how many times does a conversation come up and people say, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Then the conversation kind of... Or is that a door and I'm going to be a little bit outrageous? I'm going to be a bit dangerous. I'm going to say, I am. What about you? What do you think being a Christian means? Have you met Jesus? What about our friends? When we see our friends doing something stupid, will we speak? Will we reach out to the unlovable? You know that David got the disillusioned, distressed, and indebted. There was a church in America that had been praying for about 20 years for revival. And suddenly they started seeing salvations. A local prostitute got saved. And she brought her friends and a couple more prostitutes got saved. And half the people left the church because they didn't want to hang out with people like that. And go, what were you praying for? So God spoke to me on the elders camp just about being dangerous. He wants us to be dangerous people because he's a dangerous God. And he said to me, Mike, you don't love people dangerously. So what do you mean? He said, you love people, you just don't love them dangerously. And he took me back and I realized that when I was 11, I got a scholarship to a private school, very expensive, fancy school. I was the first kid from the school I was in to, to get to that school. Got a full scholarship, there's no way I could go otherwise. But the problem was I lived on the wrong end of town by a long way. I had a strange accent because I, I was working class. I couldn't afford the toys that they had or the things that they had. Couldn't go on holiday where they went on holiday. And out of my entire year of all boys school, I was the only boy that would profess to be a Christian. And so I had no friends at school. Not for a week, not for a month, but for six years, I had no friends at school. I didn't even have friends at church because I lived so far from church. The only time I saw church guys was a Sunday. And so I grew up from the age of 11 till 17, basically with no friends. Also because I'm a bit weird. And many of you have heard me say at times, like, I'm an introvert. But I'm not sure I was born an introvert. I may have been born with a tendency to be introverted. I think I trained myself to be an introvert. Because it was my survival mechanism. Like, I could actually try and fit in with them, but I was too stubborn. <laughs> too hard-headed. And so it was either fit in with them or be alone. But, well, who needs them anyway? And so I developed this attitude of who needs people. And I wanted not to love people. I wanted to hate people. My favorite Simon and Garfunkel song was, I am a rock, I am an island. Who's heard that song? <laughs> and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. That's, that's, that's the song. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. Safe within my room, 
You know, it's like, it's, it's loving and it's laughter I disdain. That was the song. That was the lyrics. Like, yeah. And I tried to be that. The problem was, I was a Christian. And I knew that Jesus required me to love people. And so I had to love people reluctantly because it was a command. And so I would love people, but I would love them safely. And even when I came to South Africa, and I came to Josh Jen, and Andrew asked me one day, would you, how would you feel about leading a community? And I said, I'd rather be slowly stung to death by killer bees. Uh, ask me to preach. Ask me, just don't ask me to kind of lead a community and hang out with all these people and love them. He said, Mike, you're called to be a teacher. But unless you learn to really love people, you'll never walk in what God's for. And so I learned to love people. Or I thought I had. Until the elders weekend and God said, are you loving people dangerously? What does it mean to love people dangerously? It means being willing to be betrayed, being willing to be hurt, being willing to be rejected, being willing to go through what Jesus went through, where he was betrayed by the kiss of one of his closest friends. And loving is a dangerous activity. C.S. Lewis said this, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. Impenetrable. Irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all of the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from the dangers of love is hell because there is no love in hell. We've got to love people dangerously. I see us get caught up so much as a church in, in talk about culture, you know, the culture wars and how do we defend ourselves. And we become so, so aware of, of how easy it is to, def- to offend. I think we keep quiet sometimes when we should speak. Sometimes as elders, when, we, when we're uh, giving a call for salvation... And I hear elders, and I've hear, heard myself do it, and I'm not saying this is wrong. It's just something that I, I think we should be aware of, and we should use our words carefully. But often I say, who wants to respond to Jesus? Because if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're, you're destined for, for a, a, a Christless eternity. You go, well, for somebody who's never met Jesus, what's a Christless eternity? It doesn't sound too bad, right, if you've never met him. 
Jesus doesn't say, repent or have a Christless eternity. He says, outside of Christ, there is only hell. And do we love people enough to rescue them from hell? To speak the truth, even if it offends, even if it hurts? Do I love Hannes enough to speak the truth and say it's a silly hat? <laughs> it's not a silly hat. It's a good hat. <laughs> We've got to be dangerous. Are we willing to go where it's dangerous? Next year will be the 30th anniversary of me coming to South Africa. I came to South Africa in January of 1994, and everybody told me I was an idiot. It was just before the first democratic elections. People were stockpiling food, weapons, whatever. Everybody was convinced there was going to be civil war or at least riots and death in the streets and blood in the streets. And people said to me, are you crazy? Is it safe? And my answer, because I was younger and stupider back then, and I want to get back to being young and stupid. I can't be young anymore, but I can be stupid. (laughs) My answer was, the safest place I can possibly be is where Christ is calling me. Be on the very doorstep of hell that is safer than trying to find my own comfort. Look at Jonah. Are you willing to go where he sends you and speak to who he wants you to speak? Are you willing to be dangerous? Are you willing to have a dangerous love? Are you willing to have a dangerous faith? And the good news is you don't have to generate it by your own effort. The wonder of this message is that these things are a free gift of Jesus because he said, if you come to me in friendship, I will, our hearts will join together and we become like the people we spend time with. Scientists have proven that married couples begin to look like each other over time because when we talk to people, we, we mimic them. We, we mirror their actions, and so we develop the same facial muscles. We have the same kind of lifestyle, the same kind of food. So the longer you live together, the more alike you look, which is why I often say my wife gets better looking every day. <laughs> but you become like the people you spend time with. I want to become more like Jesus. And not just that. But I I want to be better at at communicating the gospel. So I want to hang around with people like Ivan. I I, I want to be more of a marshmallow and a bit more loving and just a little softer. So I hang out with Mervis. Mervis loves everybody and everything. That's why I call him Merv the Perv. I want to grow in encouragement. I want to grow in, in, in my willingness to, to speak life and positivity and encouragement over people. So I hang out with Luke Watson. When I first started hanging out with Luke Watson, I thought, there's something wrong with this guy. Or he's after something. What, what is he after? Because he would send me all these really nice messages. Mike, thank you so much for that coffee. It was awesome. You're changing my life. It's such a privilege to know you. And, and, and I'm like... Who talks like this? And then I realize, maybe in our culture we're lacking a little bit in encouragement. And it's almost like, as long as you're not doing anything wrong, we'll leave you alone. I mean, come on, quick survey, be honest. 
If Hannah spawns you in the week and says, can we meet for coffee? How many of you would be afraid? You know why? Because we've almost got this thing like, if the elder wants to speak to me, I must be in trouble. And I think if that's the case, maybe there's something wrong with our culture. I'm not saying there is. I'm saying maybe. Maybe we need to have a culture where, hey, I wanted to have coffee just just so I could get an opportunity to tell you how awesome you are. And just to thank you that there's an elder in this church. You know, in Hebrews, it says, obey your leaders and make their lives a joy and not a burden. I just want to buy you a coffee and say thank you that you make our lives a joy and not a burden. That's why I get rid of the word cappuccino. Because that tells us that coffee means bad news. Can you imagine if the only time Jesus ever spoke to you was to give you a smack? We need, can we? Bit of a side. Do you understand? Do you get my? You will be like who you spend time with. I want to spend time with people who've got what I don't have so I can become like them. And hopefully, hopefully there's one or two things in me that look enough like Jesus that people want to hang out with me to catch what I've got. And maybe, I hope, a little bit of that is my willingness to look stupid. my willingness to be dangerous. We prayed for some sick people earlier. How many, would, would you, how many of you would perhaps have changed the way you prayed slightly after hearing this message than before? How many of you would have been maybe more willing to risk a prophetic word? Or trust God for a greater prophetic word? I remember one time, um, I think it was Anfan Nikok, who was a prophetic gift to us, came. She was here all week from Monday to Saturday in the evenings, and not one of the meetings finished before midnight, I remember, but it was the most incredible time. And one night she'd been prophesying, and then she said, is there anybody here who's got a word for somebody? I said, I think I do. She said, oh, come, come up. And I went, this, I did the Christian bingo. There's somebody here who? And then I went to sit down. As I'm going to sit down, she said, whoa, 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 come back. She said, now I'm going to help you develop your prophetic gift more. She said, right, you've had that word. If it's from God, it must apply to somebody. Who is it? And one guy at the back stood up. I think it was Mike Feet, actually. And she says, okay, Mike, so... This guy's responded, now come to the front for prayer. So he came to the front, and as he came to the front, she said, right, Mike's going to prophesy over you now. And I went, what? I don't have a prophecy. I had one general word of knowledge to somebody here. She said, no, 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 if God has put that on your heart, it's for a reason. Why did God give you that word? So use it and risk and expand. It's like surfing. You, you don't go and surf mavericks the first day you surf. Not even Ivan. You start in the little things, but then you build up. And at some point, you've got to try a wave bigger than your capacity. Just dangerous enough to stretch you, but not so that it will kill you. And we, wouldn't, we need to do that for each other as leaders and as friends and as brothers and sisters. Let's stretch each other a little bit beyond our capacity without killing each other. 
And so even two friends, that was a good prophetic word, come more. Come, there's more in you. And so I didn't know what to do. I was like, I've got nothing. Well, let me just pray. And I started praying. And as I started praying, God gave me one thing and one thing and one thing. And it was a powerful prophetic word. And who am I? I'm just me. But somebody said, they took that thing and they said, come, let's be a bit more dangerous with it. Let's stretch you. Can you stretch your hospitality? Can you stretch your giving? Can you stretch your faith? Can you stretch your evangelism? Not because we need to do more, but because our leader is that, the original mighty man. And when we come to him discontent, disillusioned, and in debt, and join our hearts to him, we become mighty men and women of God. That's what I want to ask. If you're here this morning, and the description that you would have taken for yourself this morning would have been distressed, discontent, and indebted, and that's how you've been seeing yourself, that's how you've been living, that's how you've been responding, and you go, no, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be a mighty man. I want to be dangerous. I want to have a dangerous faith. I want to have a dangerous love. I want to have a dangerous joy. I want to be so full of joy that people think I should be committed. (laughs) Because while all my colleagues are complaining about the price of fuel and load shedding and potholes and corruption, I'm just going to be saying life is awesome. But you're a bit odd, yeah. Because I've got this joy that nothing can take away. So are you the rabble? Or are you the mighty men? The answer is you're the mighty men and women. But you might be identifying this morning as the rabble. And if you, if you know you need to respond to Jesus this morning and receive from him something of the Spirit. Because what I love is this. When Jesus came to the, t- the synagogue and they asked him to read, He opened the scriptures at Isaiah 61. He said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, those who are in debt spiritually, freedom for the captives, release for the oppressed, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, replacing distress and indebtedness and disillusionment with vision, and spiritual riches, and anointing to break the yoke. He is the anointed one. And by joining with him, and his heart being joined to ours, we become the little anointed ones. The word Christ means anointed one. As Christians, we're the little anointed ones. The anointing flows from him through us to the world. If you, know, if you want to respond this morning, say, you may even be thinking, I'm really petrified. I'm scared, but I'm willing. Let's be like, I think it was Shammai, who when he came to Jesus, or when he came to David, says this. 
said, the spirit-clothed Amasai, chief of the 13, he said, we are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. And this morning, I feel like for some of us, we need to respond like Amasai, having come to Jesus and being asked, are you for me? If you're for me, my heart is yours. And under the Spirit, we say, yes, we are for you. Success to you. And then he will take us in and give us authority, make us rulers, make us captains, make us officers, give us spiritual authority to fight this battle and be the dangerous men and women he's called us to be. If you need to respond, I'm going to ask you to be a bit dangerous, be a bit reckless, be a bit fearless and stand up right now. And now we're going to pray and we're going to expect great things. We're going to expect breakthrough for people. We're going to expect a re-envisioning. We're going to expect a, a, a refreshing. Uh, you know, um, Hannah, before I was saying, you know, we've been running hard, take a break. And that's true. Run hard, take a break. But what we need is not doing nothing. We need recreation. We need to be recreated. And one of the best things we can do is just encounter the Spirit of God who can refresh us in a moment and reach the parts other beers cannot reach. The way that Jesus can work in us is deeper than any holiday, any lottery win. Holy Spirit, we thank you that when you anointed David, it says Samuel poured out the oil from the horn and the Holy Spirit rushed upon him in power. And we're not asking for a trickle, and we're not asking for a little bit, and we're not, we know we don't have to twist your arm, and we don't have to spend hours kind of babbling on and, and shouting, do you want to buy a Honda? We, all we have to do is come and ask you, because you're a good God who gives good gifts. And you said, if you come to me in friendship, my heart will be joined to yours. And I pray, Lord, for many who have felt different, uh, distant and disconnected from you, that this morning, right now, this moment, there will be a miraculous, supernatural rejoining of hearts with you, that there will be a a reconnection, a a, a new desire to to be intimate with you, uh, a a new um, openness to the things of the Spirit, a, a new desire to take risks and make mistakes and just be radical and outrageous and dangerous and God, just come by your spirit right now. We don't want to be those who see ourselves as indebted, distressed, and disillusioned. And we know that that's what the world can do to us. The world throws so many negative messages at us about finances and politics and culture and sexuality. and um, God. But we are carriers of the light. And heralds of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is. What a miracle it is that you didn't come just to improve our lives, but give us new lives. 
You didn't come to make us a better version of ourselves. You came to make us like you. And when I read about you, Jesus, and what I've known for you in the time I've followed you is you are unpredictable, wild, and dangerous. But you are good. And I want to be wild and dangerous with you. I want this unpredictable life. I don't want to be vanilla and safe and tame and ordinary. Save us from nice. Because you've called us to something extraordinary. To be bearers of the Spirit of God. Come right now. Break chains. Break mindsets. Forgive us of our unbelief where that's, where that's applicable. God, sometimes we, we have this abstract theology that you can do it and you can do it through anybody except me. Who's, who's battled with that? That very thing. I think that's something God wants to break this morning. Like, in theory, God can do anything. And in theory, God can do the supernatural. Just not me. Yeah. Stick your hand up high. Stick your hand up high. It's more common than we believe. Look at that. Man. Come to the front. Come on. Come to the front. Not that it's special at the front. It's just easier to administrate. And we're going to pray for you. In fact, Rob, I want you to pray for somebody first. Because you have a passion for the supernatural. You have the passion for the unexpected. You have a passion for the out of the ordinary. You have the passion to see the Spirit of God manifest in our meetings. And I think possibly you've you've slid back into ordinary a little bit. And I could pray for you, but I'll have to pray for you. All, All you have to do is step out. So why don't you pray? You pray for us and pray for somebody and trust God for whatever he's going to do. Oh, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we love you, Lord. We are hungry for you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that this is a word in season, that you come by your power and anoint us, Lord. Come, Lord, come and fill us, Lord, afresh, Lord, afresh in filling, God. Come and build your church, Lord. More of the supernatural breaking out, more of the prophetic, Father. More of us taking risks, Lord. Yes, Lord. No more fear of man, God. Gifts that have been dormant, Lord. Let your fire come and just awaken us, Father, in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, for come, uh, that you would just come and revive your church, Lord. We don't want to hear about it, what, what's happening just out uh, in, in other countries, Lord. We know you want to break out here in power, Lord. Come and move among us, Lord. At this camp, Father, we ask you, Lord, will you move by your spirit, Lord? Will you come and set us on fire, Father, in Jesus' name? Lord, we repent, Lord, we become safe, Lord. I repent, Lord. Lord, I want to be a risk taker again, Lord. Lord, I want to be a wild one for you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and do a new thing, Lord. Thank you for Tristan, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pour out your spirit on Tristan, Father. Thank you, Lord. Right now, in Jesus' name. There we go. Thank you, Lord, for the anointing. Oh, Lord. Fill him, God. Fill him, God. Fill him, God. Just break off any condemnation and shame, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.